But what we saw was that there were deeper elements there that writers were facing. And it felt like collaboration met all of the checkpoints. You are now tuned in to Misi Muse Unplugged, a podcast for go-getters on their journey to greatness. Unlock the secrets to your success through insights, inspiration, and education. Get ready to level up with your host, author and consultant, Christy Lindor. Hey, my go-getters. Welcome to the Macy Muse Unplugged podcast show. I'm your host, Christy Lindor. Super thrilled to be bringing you our latest episode as part of our season two science of success. So today we are talking about training your mind for success. And this is episode seven. So what do we have on the agenda? We're going to talk a little bit about ways that you can train your brain and really be able to create that successful mindset. So even if that's something that you may be struggling with, go-getters, it is actually doable and something that you can focus in on and really be able to practice and bring to life, you know, be able to, to create as a reality for you. We also have two guests on today's show. We've got Fabrice Guerriere and David Russell. In just a moment, I'm going to introduce them to the show. They're going to talk a little bit about their journey to greatness with their company, Syllable, and they're going to share their perspectives on training your mind for success. One thing I guess I want to kick off the conversation, it's actually a fun fact. I actually didn't realize, I was doing a little bit of research and and this is actually studies that's been done, that our brain requires more power to be able to process negative thoughts. So I found that actually really interesting, go-getters, and it kind of makes sense because when you think about it, let's say if you got feedback, and I'm just making an example, if you got feedback what is it that a person typically do instead of focusing on all the great things that someone may have shared with you you're going to focus on that one little bad thing or what you consider bad and that becomes front and center to the feedback and so i find that time and time again but studies have shown that actually we are wired to focus on the negative which makes sense because when you think about back in the day we're talking like primal time we're talking like prehistoric era our bodies and the human mind and the human body was really conditioned and really created and designed to help protect ourselves so our brains were constantly on high alert constantly scanning the world around us really just as a survival mechanism so our brains are naturally designed to have a slight bent on a negative bias which again makes sense you know i kind of knew that but i didn't realize that it did require more brain power so what does that mean that means that if you leave your mind kind of in this autopilot you're going to really focus more on negativity and so that's why it's really really helpful go-getters that you have to constantly train your brain so whether that means training your brain to be willing to take more risk, to try different things, to even look for the good in the things that are happening around us. I know some people are more wired to be more optimistic like myself than others, but it actually takes more intentional thought and intentional actions really to get out of that auto default that our brain is, is just naturally conditioned to. 
you know, one of the ways that I know for me, particularly, I really focus on training my brain and, and really helping refine it and hone it. One way is that I really spend time creating boundaries for myself. And when I say creating boundaries, go-getters, it's really around how can I make sure I surround myself with like-minded people, I make sure I stay out of spaces that would breed negativity, breed toxicity, and I really try to create almost like a bubble, if you will, and making sure that what I put in my head really is going to help yield positive results. Because again, our brains are wired to do the complete opposite. I find myself doing that and I definitely recommend that as one of the approach for you to consider. Another is really just being thankful, really being in a space of gratitude, being in a space of forgiveness, being able to not take yourself too seriously. Because again, it, it's so easy go-getters for us to beat ourselves up, especially if we feel like we failed or we feel like we're uncertain. It's really easy for those thoughts to amplify and for them to sometimes take a life on their own. So it really takes intentional thought and consideration for you to really force yourself out of it. And it takes a nanosecond to make that switch. But again, it's being conscious of it. So I'm gonna leave you with a quick exercise for you to do and then we'll, we'll introduce our guests. The next time that you are in a space of negativity or you feel like maybe you've just got some news that again, you just, you're focusing on the negative part of that news or you may be in an environment where it's not good for you, right? If you find yourself in a place where there's negativity breeding or you're just in that state of mind, I always say quickly get up, stand up, shake yourself off and make a noise, make a sound, make something to disrupt that thought pattern. And it may sound silly to do, but I actually learned this technique from a Tony Robbins video and I'll put the link in the show notes for today. But that actually really helps because again, it disrupts your thought pattern and you're really able to change your state of mind in an instant. And you'd be surprised, you continue to do that, you then condition yourself to constantly break the pattern, be conscious of where your mind is and be able to kind of reshift. And even, again, it takes less than five seconds to do something like that, but you'll be amazed at the results. You'll be amazed at the energy you bring to your life, the creativity you're able to yield from that. And you may even be able to change your emotional state in that moment and change your outlook, which guess what? When you change your outlook and perspective, it changes your life. So that's my quick and dirty on training your mind for today. I'm actually going to pivot. I'm going to go to introduce our guest for today's show. These two individuals are no stranger to training their mind for success. So today, again, go-getters, we have Fabrice Guerriere and David Russell. So a little bit about Fabrice. He is a Haitian-American entrepreneur, author, TEDx speaker. He's actually even graced the stages of the World Economic Forum, which I find super impressive. He's an author of short stories, a couple of different collection of short stories, Golden Veins. He's co-authored the book called The Wall and also authored a, a book of poetry called Egypt and a Cup of Tea. He's actually doing amazing things. And my other guest, David Russell, is a serial entrepreneur. He's actually created a platform to help students buy and sell class notes online called Moolah Guides. 
Com. It looks like, you know, in the past, he's actually sold his business, end up traveling the world while producing a podcast show called Scale to Success. He now has a consulting firm called Let's Chat Marketing, where he helps businesses develop their online presence. And the two of them are the co-founders of Syllable. So Syllable is a literary startup an independent press that publishes, they're called novellas and, and micro novels. And I find what both Fabrice and David are doing in the publishing industry really, really super interesting. They are disrupting and I cannot wait to see where their journey to greatness takes them with this amazing startup. So with that, I'm gonna pivot to my conversation with Fabrice and David and we can get started. You're listening to the Misi Muse Unplugged Podcast. We'll be right back after the break. Several years ago, I was passed over for a promotion at my job. Instead of wallowing in my circumstances, that evening I decided to redirect my energy using a forgiveness technique I had casually created over the years. What happened over the next 15 months was an absolute life-changing breakthrough. So I decided to put it to the test. I shared the technique with a couple of friends and they too began to see major shifts at work. That's when I decided to formalize my forgiveness model into a book. Hi, I'm Christy Lindor. I've discovered that forgiveness used as an applied strategic skill in the workplace can shift your career to the next level. You can explore this concept in my new book, Release, use the power of forgiveness to get unstuck and thrive in your career. Order it now on Amazon or learn more at www.releasethebook.com. Welcome to the Misi Muse Unplugged, Arisa and David. How are you both doing today? Wonderful day. It's another day to keep striving with positive energy to move forward. So I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah. What part of the world are you both sitting in right now, actually? I'm currently based in DuPont Circle in Washington, D.C. And I am in sunny South Florida, but right now it's a little bit too sunny. Well, we're having one of the hotter summers in recent history. It's been around 92 to 95 usually. I know some other areas get it a little bit hotter, but that's not a competition I want to be in. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. And there's no such thing as climate change, right? Like as people say. (laughs) Well, thank you both for joining us on the podcast show. I guess before we talk about Syllable and Go-Getters, I'm really, really thrilled for Brees and David to be on this show, on this episode. I think you're going to learn some really cool stuff about what they're doing. I cannot wait to read about what you're doing in like Time Magazine and in the future, because I know that's where it's headed. But before we talk about the syllable journey, would love to kick off and have you both share a story or pivotal moment in your life that has really shaped your journey to date and just one story each. One thing that has radically shifted my perception and and this sense of responsibility of being a human on this planet would have to be August 14, 2004. That was the day that my little brother, older brother, my mom and dad moved to the U.S. My entire perception was radically changed. My sense of self was also changed and transformed. And this journey truly began in a very profound way. I was born and raised in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. And when we moved to South Florida, 
we hit the ground running. We were trying to survive. My parents was working multiple jobs. I was trying to adapt and make sense out of this erasure of meaning being transplanted completely like a plant to a new country, to a new world, to a new culture, and profoundly understanding what was my role in it. Yeah, I would have to say that has changed me a lot. This idea that I, as an individual, could work with other people to achieve and leave a legacy on the planet. I think that has fundamentally changed my life and I would not give it back. I think there's a lot of sacrifices that people before me have made to define who I am today. And I think I'm forever eternally grateful for my parents and their wishes and their dreams. Yeah, I think that's, that's one event that has changed my life for sure. And it continue to ripple in why I do the things that I do today. Love it. David, how about yourself? Pivotal moment for me, I wish it was a little more happy, but I guess sometimes the pivotal moments can be a little tragic. But when I was a child, my younger brother passed away in an untimely situation. And when that happened, there was immediate negativity, of course, having lost him. But what I found afterward was an outpouring of support from the community and within our own family. After we were able to grieve, we ended up becoming a lot stronger together. And this happened when I was around 10 years old. And looking back, it really shifted my perspective on living each day to the fullest and really believing that the best can happen because it was a reality check on how fast things can go and how unexpected things are. So I, I've been able to appreciate things more in my life after that situation. And that's what in part has brought me here, wanting to help more people with syllable. Yeah, I'm, I'm so sorry to hear that at such a young age, David, you said this was your younger brother or your older brother? This is my younger brother who was oh. around two at the time. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I'm so, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, I, I can imagine that definitely changing your perspective. And I've heard people for beasts who've moved from one country to another and the radical shift it's created in terms of mindset. So thank you both for being willing to share such personal stories. One other question I, you know, kind of to fast forward currently, and this is probably an appropriate question for the two of you. If your life was a book, what words would you use to describe the current chapter title and why? <laughs> That's a great question. I would say, there's so many thoughts that flow in my mind right now, but I would say renaissance, because when I think of the word renaissance, I'm immediately brought to the renaissance age in, in Italy and throughout Europe, where there's this flourishing of ideas, of meaning, of art, of people collaborating, of people really putting themselves outside of their comfort zones to discover truths that they didn't realize were there and getting greater alignment to what they want to do. I, I think for me, the spirit in my life, I've been reflecting and digesting and re-understanding who I am in relation to the planet, in relation to my communities and the people that I serve. I think this also ties into so much of what's happening around the world, around technology, around the internet, around global systemic issues. We are at a state of change. And, and yes, a lot of people can say that every generation claims that this is the greatest change that's happening. But I fundamentally do believe right now the fourth industrial revolution that we're experiencing 
with the shifts of jobs and, and machine learning and automation and how that's impacting institutions, how that's impacting local communities. I think there is a, a crisis of meaning that is occurring in the planet right now. And I feel a lot of people are yearning for more meaningful engagement with others, but also a creative expression that adds purpose, that adds understanding. So I think for me, if I were to characterize this period of my life, I would say renaissance because I'm having to reinvent every part of myself. But I think this reinvention means that every single cell in my body I almost has to be in alignment. I have to bring my wisdom. I have to bring myself fully forward to be able to be fully present. And, and my ability to trust myself in what I can do. And also the ability to learn from other people and knowing that I don't have all the answers as well. So it's a fine balance. It's almost as if like I have to bring all these varying parts of myself and create some form of resonance. And no matter what, stay true to that vision, stay true to those values. And also sharing that for people and saying like, how can we create this renaissance on the planet? Because it gets needed. I think creativity is at the root of what makes people sane, what makes people better humans, are more human in a sense. I would say renaissance would be the chapter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say the next chapter or the same chapter would maybe be growth. Growth is something that we're seeing with a lot of the writers we're working with they are being pushed to do new types of writing and they're exploring new reasons of why they're writing. Seeing them grow has been impactful. Me growing myself within this community, finding ways where I can be the most helpful to aid other people, especially trying to help other people in a field I personally did not study in, creative writing. That's been a journey to figure out how I can turn that hobby into seriously educating other people and ultimately growing with the community and growing success. (laughs) I'll leave it there. Nice. I think you both gave like the most deepest response to that question. (laughs) Fabrice, I'm so stealing crisis of meaning. Oh my God. When you said that, I was like doing snaps over here. I've (laughs) I've never heard anyone articulated in that way, but I think you're absolutely right. And I think that's a spot on term. So hopefully you get out there and point it before someone else does. But I think it's spot on. It is a crisis of meaning. So I love it. Renaissance and growth. Awesome. You're listening to the Meesey Muse Unplugged podcast. We'll be right back after the break. Now available on Amazon. Management consultant and author Christy Lindor shares career secrets based on 15 years of experience working at top firms in a new book called The Meesey Muse. A hundred plus selected practices, unwritten rules and habits of great consultants. The Meesey Muse provides insights, stories and strategies on the unwritten rules of the consulting profession. Christy conducted research and connected with 50-plus industry titans across 27 professional service organisations on what makes a great consultant. For book reviews, tour dates and more info, go to www.meesymuse.us. So let's pivot and talk about what is syllable, starting with how you spell it. <laughs> I'm just so, <laughs> so So what is syllable and what compelled you both to start it? Syllable, S-Y-L-L-B-L-E. It's a funny story because we took out the A out of the word syllable because when we're looking for a site to host the community, 
the cost of the site with the A would have cost us upwards to $90,000. So taking out the A ended up costing $1.99. But it ended up sticking because it's tighter, it's smaller. I think a lot of what Syllable started was, for me, like a lot of writing and stories over periods of my life became more and more apparent that stories are so profoundly important to our existence. And I know a lot of people say that, a lot of people in the creative realm say that, but I truly believe that. Like when I first moved to the US, writing was the way that I processed. And, and, and I'm much like David as well, I, I journaled a lot. I journaled what I was experiencing, what I was feeling, what I was thinking. I worked at a library for five years, so I was surrounded by books. I read comics. I was obsessed with Marvel. I loved stories, like unbashedly, I loved it. And really, it wasn't until later in my life when I actually had the opportunity to go back to Haiti. Through the Pan American Center, I did a fellowship, a six-month fellowship, and went to the Penn Haiti Center. And I worked there for six months. And I remember watching a YouTube video that said that you first have to write a bad novel before you write a true novel. Because I had experimented with short stories before, I had written a lot of poetry, but I took on the mental because I was I was in a creative space. The Penn Haiti Center is on top of the mountain of Port-au-Prince. You oversee the entire capital. And I was surrounded by a library that had a thousand books. There's six to seven rooms where artists and writers from Paris to Canada would come in to do residencies. A lot of young folks as well from the neighborhood would come in and use the four computers. They would have literary workshops and every other weekends there would be uh, acoustic musical night. But really in that space, I got to reflect a lot about my own existence and through writing, like just the act of writing allowed me to grow and move more into myself. And I wrote two novels there in six months. One bad novel and another bad novel. And I chose to work on the second novel. Until now, I'm still working on it. And come to realize where writing by myself was such a lonely experience. I was in my mind. I was trying to write the perfect best American novel. And I realized that I didn't have to go about it alone. And it truly was until when I moved to DC and started working and I was kind of faced with a level of nihilism where I was like, this is definitely not something I want to do for the rest of my life. This is what I thought I wanted to do. So exploring what the internet and the changes, my obsession with technology and how technology, I'm a technological optimist. I do believe that technology can provide and can be the single most important thing to emancipate and bring humanity more and a level of more interconnectedness. But long story short, syllable at the root of it is that we believe creativity is a collaborative experience. I won't say more than that, but I'll, I'll let David talk a little bit because I have a lot more to say about it. I want to pause the time, but a lot of a syllable is a very collaborative. It is kind of challenging the idea that you don't have to write by yourself. Uh, you don't have to spend three or four or five years writing this great novel we're trying to say that the micro novel, multiple authors, three or more or four or five authors from around the world coming together to write a book over a shorter period of time, that's the future. Because it's more adaptable to our digital age, but also it's much more exciting because you're sharing ideas 
multiple minds is better than one. It's been an incredible journey learning from the writers. I mean, maybe David can tell you more about the Caden and Dangerous School, which were our, our one of the proudest books that we've been able to publish as a community. Yeah. Mm. My journey in Syllable started about two years ago. Fabrice and I, in the past, have just orally told stories, you know, in my backyard, and we would just kind of piggyback off of what each other were saying. And it was surprising the depth of the ideas that we are coming up with in such a short time frame. Because as Fabrice was saying, when you work with other people, you just get faster, better ideas. And it's more fun than when you're just writing by yourself, which I've been a long time journaler as well, until I realized that my journaling was basically fiction in disguise. So now I've been able to do some fiction writing at the same time as journaling, basically. Something that is really cool that we're doing here with Syllable is just the fact that we're meeting other people from around the world. Now more so than ever, you can just like go on a video call with someone who is literally across the world from you. And within seconds, that person can go from an anonymous online profile to someone that you're talking face to face with. The technology has never been there before like it is now. And this last year, I was able to write a book with four writers from four different continents. We had Colin, who's a professor from the UK, Joanna, who is a student in Palestine, and we have Roberta, who is studying her PhD in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and myself writing out of South Florida. It's truly amazing to be connected with these people and writing a book with them. Talk about crazy world that we're living in now, where this is possible. So this was in 2017, and the original idea was, uh, okay, I'm a writer, I've been writing this novel, and one of the biggest needs I thought I needed was an editor. And the original idea was, okay, let's connect writers to editors. So the initial process was, or let's do a survey. Sent out a survey to 50, 60 different people, had in-person interviews as well, phone call interviews to establish authors, marketers, illustrators, kind of understand the ecosystem. But what we saw was that there were deeper elements there that writers were facing, such as lack of confidence or not having enough time or not understanding the industry. How do we get an agent? How do you get published? Because the traditional publishing realm is kind of pipeline scarcity based model where you have to send out a manuscript to a place and most of the time that manuscript sits on the slush pile. And so these patterns just keep on reoccurring over and over and over. And it felt like collaboration also like met all of the checkpoints. So I kind of went around internet and researching why is collaboration with books not necessarily popular. It happens, but it's not popular. It happens in the music world. It happens when you make a film. It happens in academia. But when you're writing a book, you never see four or five names of a writer on a book. Why is that? So we started researching the writer's room and in the Hollywood studios and how did they do it? What are the best practices for that? Some countercultural streams around the world, around people that had attempted collaborative processes. So in my living room in DC, I got three writers. The first one was Yanni. I had met her in, at Puerto University. 
and I, we had reconnected when I attended the Black DC Film Festival. And I told her about, oh, this is what we were, were thinking of doing. And she's like, yeah, I was just started to write. And I was like, hey, like, I'm doing this thing. Would you come in? I had met another writer while I was working in the government. He was an intern. And he was doing his master's at Georgetown University, Bolton. And he had written plays and short stories and really had won some awards as well. And he was super interested in this as well. And he was kind of telling me how different the East and the West, like the people were collaborating through writings. There was so Sean Clear, super interesting. And this other writer, Colin, who now lives in New York, he had kind of stepped down from his job and did an entire bicycling trip around the country from DC, Chicago, Colorado, Seattle, and all the way back. And he documented his entire experiences through writing and it had been writing this novel. So I got these three writers in my living room and I had like tea, coffee, cheese, raisin on a Sunday morning. And I had these five little bullet points of this is how they should write a story. And I told them, you guys are going to write a short story together. Suddenly, when I gave them these five little bullet points on the research and the data that I had done, I was in absolutely awe of what I saw. And the designing of the story and the designing of the universe and the designing of the characters and the experimentation. I saw personal storytelling. I saw philosophy. I saw history. I was like, wow, this could even be a show. This could be a podcast. I saw so many things. And in two weeks, they had a short story. These three writers had written a short story together. I repeated the process six more times in person and online. You see the variation and pick the three short stories and put it together in a book and put it on Amazon because the self-publishing process has been so decentralized right now and as a proof of concept. And the actual first story was with David as well, where I kind of collaborated with him in a story. I was like, oh, I have this idea. I'm writing this. What, what do you think about this? What should be the next step? And then we ended up writing a story about a young girl with a superpower and, and kind of around like this dragon that was living inside of her really creative fantasy. But over the last year, 2018, we've been doing all sorts of collaborative process, having like lead writers or writers creating chapter by chapter. We've been experimenting on what is the best collaborative process and what works, what doesn't work, especially getting people from different countries who have different languages, different mental models to collaborate and get these best practices. And we learned tremendously. We've had a lot of processes that have failed We've had a lot of processes that have succeeded and we're still, I'm humbled by the amount of wisdom by what we've been able to achieve so far. So I'm trying to figure out where to start to unpack this. For the listeners, I want to make sure that they understand how huge this is in terms of the business model. So let me play back what I think I heard and David and Fabrice, please chime in and, and clarify. So I'm hearing that Syllable is essentially disrupting the publishing industry by one, creating this online literary community of the different types of individuals that typically come together in the publishing world. So whether it's you're an author, it's editors, book designers. So you have this community of different creatives and you've created this platform or this space where these different players can really kind of come together and collaborate as a collective instead of, like you mentioned, the writer being kind of the one lone person on this journey with all these other players. It's like they're kind of coming together and writing what you're calling a micro novel together. So for those that are listening, can you maybe describe 
what is a micro novel and a micro novelist and what's the difference between that versus just kind of a traditional novelist? So a micro novel is typically done in shorter form. Um, it would be closer to perhaps a novella. But what we're really trying to do here is build new relationships, not only with between the authors, but with the authors and the readers. When people are coming together to write a story, again, it just comes out with richer ideas and, and more context. So the micro novelist is someone who embraces that concept. And something that we've been doing over the last year is trying to find your dream writing partner that you haven't met yet. And we're trying to match you with them so that together you can make a new friend and again become a novelist. Absolutely. There's been so many trends that are happening with the digital revolution that has taken upon our planet. And this, these elements are from crowdsourcing, from serialization, from collaboration. And the micro novelist is a writer of the 21st century. We're defining the micro novel as a short, form of fiction where three, two, or four writers come together to write a novel in a creative sprint of about 15 days, about a week. This micro novel, it constitutes the wisdom and the collaboration of multiple people. And with micro novelists especially are writers who want to collaborate we want to share ideas, we want to create, we're, we're trying to jumpstart this uh, new literary movement that is moving away from the individual form of writing. So let's say three writers who've been writing by themselves and maybe they're, they're struggling. One is an MFA program in New York, another person is in China, another person is in Australia. And they've all been writing on their own their entire life. And then they come across syllable and they all sign up through syllable and through syllable, those three authors can partner together, go through a three months process. Within 15 days, within these three months, they're gonna come together. They're gonna define a universe, a fiction universe. They're gonna lay out a three act plot, which is the setup, the climax, and then the resolution. And they're each going to write three short stories within their own characters' perspectives and their own lens within a strong narrative backbone. And when you put these three short stories from these three writers all together into a book, we have a micro-novel. It's pretty simple. Three people coming together, writing a book together, and they have shared ownership of the book, which bears dividends, future dividends. And what we're defining, uh, the, the crowning piece of the micro-novel is that once the book is from around from 22 to 70 pages that we've seen and when the books is launched those three writers can be advocates for the book so they go on their social media they go in their own communities they go on in their own network and their own networks are merging to jumpstart and build an organic audience around what they're writing and i think the crowning piece as well is that it's serialized where these writers if they loved working together they can start to create a production business. They can start to keep writing on the syllable platform and creating that serial process and building an audience and getting paid for what they're writing. Sort of like a Patreon for authors where they're building a proof of concept and we as a community, we are giving them the tools and the different act 
actors to be able to build these relationships to get that story to transform to the next level. So, so the micro novel as a form of fiction, we feel is more adaptable to our times. It's kind of getting validated feedback. It's, it's getting multiple ideas. It's getting the wisdom of the group to be able to create a work sufficient in shipping out fast instead of waiting two or three years to write this 400 page novel. And I know it's a very big strategy. I think it's dying. I feel people have less time to read a 400 page novel. And it is definitely how our society is changing, like social media and people are always on the go. The micro novel, I've heard feedback from readers and writers is like, you can read it in one sitting. A lot of this is kind of feeding back onto all these historical literary movement that has happened, like the Pulp Fiction era, where these sci-fi writers in the 1930s would come and collaborate and they release these cheap, small books. And that kind of rose in a very commercialized sense as well. So this is not necessarily a new thing. It's just that we're adding a very simple idea or saying like writing should be more collaborative. Okay, that's helpful. So if I'm listening to this episode and I'm thinking like, oh, okay, that sounds good. I can write a micro novel and that sounds like something I'm willing to do. You know, maybe if I've been already thinking about or trying to decide if I wanted to self-publish a book versus going through the traditional commercial publishing route, why would I pick syllable over those two options? Like maybe you can share what's the distinct difference between the self-publishing route versus the traditional commercial routes? Well, one of the main things, not only um, does working together help you write your book, but ultimately it helps you promote your book as well. So when you self-publish, it can be a daunting journey because once again, as we've been talking about, you're alone in this process and it can often feel like you're shouting out to the world and the world is distracted by other things. So when you join Syllable, you get connected with other authors who are going through this same process where they're trying to put themselves out there and they want to share their experience with someone else. And we can kind of leverage each other's networks to kind of cross promote and ultimately get more attention for all of our stuff and build more connections. So I would say joining a community like Syllable just helps you in all facets of writing and promotion that you maybe wouldn't get otherwise by yourself. Absolutely. And and as an independent press, we publish the book as well as a platform. And we feel like one of the benefits that a writer gets is that a writer that might necessarily be confident in the writing around fiction, a writer that has traditionally written by themselves and maybe have a few friends they share their stuff. This is a global platform where they're able to put themselves out there and join in into this movement where they are collaboratively creating these fictional worlds with intention, with purpose, and are meeting other people they would otherwise not. And together, this rising tide is going to lift everyone towards a direction to see how we can change the world. Our motto at Syllable is that we're changing the world one syllable at a time. One syllable at a time. Every single word counts and matters. Every single person matters. Our collaboration is essential to creating and writing the future stories that is going to inspire generations onward. And I think the traditional model of publishing A lot of people can say that, yes, it works, 
but a lot of it is because of the limited funding that they have they only pick up authors or stories that have a proven backing for example that might be from a reputable literary agent that has discovered different writers and they're more willing to listen to that literary agent the traditional publishing it gives you let's say cash up front but you receive a little bit of royalties for the rest of the book period to the what they have i think there's a lot of good things around the traditional publishing realm and i do want to recognize that but i think that our times are changing we firmly believe that the more stories that we have out there the more collaboration that we have out there the world is changing we're making the world a better place and i think collaboration it's an added value that traditional publishers might not be able to offer you're listening to the Meesey Muse Unplugged podcast. We'll be right back after the break. What if you can finally launch your own consulting business that gives you the confidence to go after any targeted client and build a profitable business, regardless of your educational background or knowledge? What if you can finally learn how to package your expertise you spent years building into a profitable offering and then wake up every day making a difference with clients that truly value what you can bring to the table as a credible business consultant? Here's the secret, you can. Introducing the Purpose Driven Consultant School. It's an online training and mentoring program designed to help ambitious women and diverse professionals become world-class consultants doing work they love with people they like. Courses are taught by me, Christy Lindor. I come with over 18 plus years of experience working for some of the world's most prestigious management consulting firms. Check us out, we're now enrolling. We have a couple courses coming up on really how to start your business. We kick off our program with a six week boot camp called Consulting Like a Boss. You can learn more at www.purposedrivenconsultant.com. Maybe you can share with us also how big the community is now and how many micro novels or novellas has Syllable published. Right now we have about 200 people or so in the overall syllable community. And over the last two years, we've published about 15 books that are micro novels. Some are a bit longer than others. And each group has been a different size. Some groups have been two, three, four. We found that for our stories, Having three people has been kind of the golden number because it just gives the best group dynamic where you can be agile because there's not a ton of people. But at the same time, you can get a large span of ideas. Nice. Absolutely. We, we have writers that range from Nepal, from Chicago, from the UK, from Nigeria, from Italy, from Australia, from Serbia. We have writers from a lot of different countries that are coming together. I think the power in really getting individual people and the individual attention, I think the power in the community being small at this stage is that we're able to give individual attention to each writer because that's our superpower, is the relationship that we are able to build with these authors. And from our bookstore, we've published collections of poetries as well as micro novels that have been written by most authors. 
That's actually pretty incredible because I feel like Fabrice, when you and I first connected, it was about a year and a half ago. I think you were just getting started and you hadn't published any novels. You hadn't published any books yet. So now you're up to 15 in, this, in a short amount of time. So that's that's amazing. And that doesn't include a lot of short stories that we've been able to publish as well, which that number probably goes up into 30s, 50s, but that's a relatively new venture. But we've been making collaboratively written articles that will span 500 to 8,000 words. And that's something pretty cool we have going on on our website. For the writers that we do have on Syllable, we have a peer-to-peer review process where before anything goes live on the site, you post what your idea is on the pitch pit of our Syllable forum. And the idea is if you want to post something on the Syllable site, you have to commit to reading someone else's post and then leaving a well thought out comment. So people are going in and and leaving, you know, a paragraph comment on someone else's story before it goes live. Then the other writer can get that feedback, edit it as they please, and then send it back to us so it can go live on the site. That's had some great results. I would love to also like rave about the Orient Paradigm. David has been working closely with them, which is a collaborative group that has been working over a year now. And they've been so dynamical in creating an entire universe. It's almost like it's a production team, a writer's room that is meeting every other week, every week to then they have different guided processes. I think that's one of the most exciting things and that's kind of peering into the future of what we're trying to do and creating literary fiction canons where writers can come together, read the story bibles, read the, the universe, and contribute from their own stylistic view and collaborate with other people. I think that is the kernel of what we're doing at Syllaboy. I think the collaboration, the partnerships with the writers is the first stage. The second stage, I personally feel, is, is how can we create that golden recipe of people working over a period of two, three years and creating an entire universe and being able to create something very rich, something very cool that explores the human condition in the most profound sense. Awesome. One last question before I, I pivot. It sounds like the process is working. I mean, if you've, you've got 15 plus published works that's taken place, what about the financial or the legal implications when it comes to collaborating? I'm curious to see, you know, kind of what some of the things that a person should think about, particularly around royalties or cash up front or over time or anything like that. Absolutely. I think that is critical to the piece because a lot of the writers we engage are like, what about my ideas? I don't want my ideas to be stolen. That is a real need. That is a real worry that uh, writers have. My first impulse is that a lot of writers think that they have the greatest idea on the planet and they don't want to share with people because it might get stolen. And those things that definitely does happen. But what we as a community, what we're saying is that if you don't put those ideas out there and you keep it in your pocket or you keep it in your notebook or you keep it in this and you never share with people, you're never going to know if this idea has the ability to change the world. So the way that we have specifically handled the collaborative process is that the writers each have shared ownership of the intellectual property. I'm not an IP expert, but we have been talking to lawyers and and different people in our community to see how we can have a strong IP infrastructure early on to be able to engage that need. So the way that we do is as a platform, Syllable manages the IP. Syllable is an advocate 
for the writers and engaging the broader world and seeing how we can transform these stories into the next best, best comics or the next best short films or the next best full-scale production films. But the whole process is around royalties and is divided equally among the writers. And as the platform, we keep as well a percentage of the royalties. So as I described earlier, three writers come in, they create a universe together, they create the three acts, and they each write three short stories for these three acts within a character's perspective. So there's a clear process of who wrote what and what is being owned. But I think it's, it goes beyond this. We think that writers can go further by writing together. So what we're asking is a behavioral change. We are new in the sense that traditionally writers write by themselves, but what we're saying is that when you write with other people, your writing can go further. When you write with other people, your ideas can change the world. When you write with other people, those stories can impact more people. So we're asking the writers to collaborate based on the idea of trust, based on the idea that sharing stories is something so essential to that process. And one of the things that I think that we want to say, because in the past two years when we've been testing out the model, one of the things that we want to share with the audience and with your viewers is that we've launched Syllable University. Syllable University is sort of the model that we're standing behind to look at how we can monetize, how we can bring more funds to the community. And the way that Syllable University is framing itself is, is as the first accelerator for serious fiction authors, where a writer pays a fee and they come in and they're able to collaborate with people. But over the period of three months, we give them the resources, we give them the tools, we give them a space, an educational space where they can improve their writing and build a business, a creative practice around their writing and kind of onboard them onto the platform. So Syllable University is the first stage of getting into the community. And there are a lot of the model that we're using is like the traditional writer's workshop. When writers work with, let's say, a famous author or they work at a university or they go to a conference or a retreat, writers pay thousands of dollars to go and workshop their ideas and their promise that they're gonna get something out of this. So we're using the traditional model that is very familiar in the literary realm of a writer's workshop. But we're saying this writer's workshop is an accelerator where we're accelerating people's creativity. To sum it up, this is a crash course in creative writing and it's gonna be the most valuable creative writing course out there. That's our goal. Awesome. Well, we'll have to definitely include the links on the show notes for it's, it's Syllable University that's separate or that's part of the broader community that someone joined. That is something that we are launching. We, we have okay. the Syllable community and Syllable University is a thing that people can join. And awesome. We've also set up a page. If anyone would like more info, it's syllable.com slash M-E-C. Oh, nice, nice. So yeah, go getters. We'll make sure we add that link to the show notes. So I mentioned to you both that this season is centered around the science of success. So I have one question related to that. Hopefully you're both ready. Mm-hmm. I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> so I figured for the two of you, I wanted to talk on about the physiology of success. Do either of you train your body and mind for success? And if so, how? Yeah, 
basically every day I go for running sessions. For a while I was calling it jogging, but I've reached the threshold where I run now and it always feels amazing. It's one of the, the most positive things um, I've started doing in my life. Not that there was a lot of negative things, but running has been amazing. Okay. And how has that helped you be successful, David? I've heard when you do something like an exercise, it's extremely hard. When other things come up that seem hard, they just don't seem as hard. That could have probably been better said, but ultimately uh, when you push yourself as far as exercise is concerned, it just, again, makes something like, you know, a tough conversation just feel like a, a little bit easier. Okay. Awesome. For how about yourself? For me, my entire life, I had a view of success be, being an immigrant. You're, you almost have like this mountain to climb and you're carrying the world on your shoulder and you want to achieve something that has never been done before. You want to stand on the shoulders of, of giants. But for me, success has been really tied to using my body and my mind as a sandbox for reinventing and self-mastery. Oh, there's this other quote that says like, the Buddha says it's like trying to empty the ocean with a teacup. The goal is not to empty the ocean. The goal is to be present, to be fully present. So when I look at success for me, it's really looking at the neuroplasticity, looking at the day-to-day -day and feeding positive energy, feeding visualization, appreciating beauty, laughing often, and sustaining this energy day in and day out relentlessly. So I'm literally programming the optimal state of what makes me happy, what makes me a better human, a more human on the planet. I think for me, success, yes, it can look in a way financial success, it can look uh, creative success, it can look at it, but for me, success is something so much more deeply personal. Nietzsche talks about this idea of the uncivilized layer of the psyche, and if you channel it properly, it can vitalize life. So for me, success is really a level of self-mastery. It's kind of understanding who I am and aligning with my passion and my values day in and day out and in meeting other people. So I have, I'm learning more and growing. So I, that's what I would define success as. Okay. What, what advice would you give to anyone listening to this podcast that is thinking about taking the first step towards, you know, either training their mind or their body towards success? Like, what would you say would be a starting point? I think one simple thing that I always tell people is that your brain is a creative instrument and you have to program it. You have to will it into the direction that you want to shape it to. It's like Leonardo says when he was sculpting these, these square marbles, he was liberating the statue out of it. Like this ideal sense of self, which can live an entire lifetime to create, exists already. So one clear thing is buy a notebook, a Moleskine notebook, or use your phone and jot down anything that inspires you. Any idea that you hear walking on the street, or you're at work, or you're watching a YouTube video, or you're reading in a book, or you're thinking, or you're talking to someone, anything that magnifies your inspiration, imbues curiosity, write it down. Write down all of these things. Just write it down. It doesn't have to make sense, just write it down. So what by that, you're programming the neural patterns and neuroplasticity in your brain to feed more positive, to pay attention more to these things that are gonna excite you, that are gonna make you feel more the life of 
uh, in the planet. That would be an easy, quick way to do that. And it's not something that happens overnight. It might take two or three years after doing this constantly that you start to see a shift in your mind. That's something very quick and easy that you can do. To add on that, I would say something that people forget sometimes when we have these new habits that when we're trying to reach a certain level of success, we often want to add in a bunch of things to our schedule. But it could also be valuable to reduce some things in your schedule, specifically things that are negative. So if you're trying to increase the amount of positive things in your life, say you want to start meditating or maybe you wanted to start on a new diet, instead of perhaps trying to radically change your diet or radically do meditation, perhaps it could be when you are reaching for that extra snack or going to the snack machine and trying to get a veggie, replace it instead of adding in something that's a lot more complex. Instead of watching that extra YouTube video, maybe you could do five minutes of meditation at that time. So you're not overwhelming yourself with new habits. Thank you so much, both of you, for being on today's show. Really, really appreciate it. If folks are looking to connect with you online, how can they find you? Yeah, so we... um now have made a page for you all once again where listeners can get 15 creative writing tips if you're interested in trying to write your first fiction book or if you'd like to write another one you are welcome to check that out and that is at syllable.com slash m-e-c-e you could personally find me at hey david r on most social media channels and thank you again christy for having me here Yeah, I would love to have you both back. I feel like we could talk for hours just on Syllable. I I find it such a fascinating model and I cannot wait to see you continue to make ripples in the publishing industry. So hopefully you you both would come back. It will be honored, definitely be honored. Yeah, thank you for inviting us and sharing our stories and sharing this movement that we're creating. If people want to reach out to me, it would be Fabrice, F-A-B-R-I-C-E at syllable.com, S-Y. LLBLE.com and feel free to reach out and send me an email. I'm also on Twitter as well, LinkedIn and Facebook as well. So if you have a knack for fiction and telling stories, you're a screenplay writer, you're a short story writer, you're a novelist, you care deeply about movies and films, I think Syllable is going to be a really good community to join and grow and excel. Nice. Thank you both. That concludes today's show. I want to thank my guests for being with us today. And thank you, my go-getters, for tuning in. There are hundreds and thousands of podcasts out there. And I'm so glad that you've chosen the Misi Muse Unplug to connect with. So make sure you check out today's show notes. You can go to www.misimuse.com for more information. Please feel free to subscribe to this podcast, share it with your friends, and rate it. Until next time, here's to your journey to greatness. Tune in for new episodes every Monday to kick off your week of greatness. Visit us online at misimuse.com for more information. Don't forget to follow Misi Muse on all socials to stay tuned in for upcoming episodes and news from Christy Lindor.